right, Friday was Valentine's Day, or as we should really say, Saint Valentine's Day, right? Saint Valentine was a Catholic priest who uh, was put in prison in Rome and eventually martyred because he witnessed the marriage of Christian couples without government permission. And so he has become kind of like the, the patron saint of uh, romantic love, you know, and, and marriage and things like that. So um, before Lent begins, we wanted to do one more of our catechetical type homilies. And in the wake of St. Valentine's Day, we thought, what better topic than that great and blessed virtue of chastity. So that's what we want to talk about today is chastity. So um, obviously, if we're going to talk about chastity, we're going to talk about sins against chastity. If, uh, you, if there are children here this morning who are old enough to know what we're talking about, but uh, not yet ready to think about those concepts, uh, I would encourage the parents to go ahead and take their kids back to the uh, little chapel room over there, shut the door, and uh, you will not be able to hear what we're saying. There's lots of good information in there that you can show them and keep them uh, entertained during the homily. Um, so please, go ahead and do that if you feel the need, forewarned. Uh, and then, of course, it's 7.30 Mass. I know a lot of us might feel like we uh, are kind of past a lot of the sins of against chastity, although, you know, a lot of us struggle with that throughout life. But remember, we're not just giving you these catechetical homilies for your own sake, but also so that you can uh, share that information with other people, right? So your children, your grandchildren, I'm sure, need to hear these uh, kinds of information as well. So that's what we're going to talk about today is chastity. The catechism defines chastity like this. Chastity is the successful integration of sexuality within the person, and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. So how do we have this inner unity, this inner unity between our body and our spirit? We have to have integrity, integration with our sexuality, right? Our sexuality is a godly gift, but we have to have it integrated into our person, and it is chastity that allows us to do that. There are two general ways in which we sin against chastity. Sins of thought and sins of action. Now, sins of thought, uh, unchaste thoughts, those are condemned by the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. The problem with sins of thought is that people think that they're not really a big deal, right? Because no one knows what I'm thinking, and uh, it doesn't seem like I'm hurting anybody by just having thoughts in my head. But Jesus makes it very clear in the gospel today, right? He says, uh, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is reminding us that our intentions, our inner choices, are just as damaging to our souls, uh, or of course just as meritorious and rewarding, if it's a good thought, as our actions are, right? Uh, we, even though other people may not know what we are thinking, God knows what we are thinking. And even though we may not be harming other people, we are harming ourselves. And so uh, even to think unchastely is a serious sin. The other problem with thought 
uh, unchaste thoughts, and this is true in all areas of life, is what we think about, what we allow ourselves to think about, will eventually translate into action, right? And, uh, and so that brings us to the second category of sins against chastity, sins of action. Um, these are condemned by the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And of course, Jesus again brings this out in the gospel today. He says, anyone who divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What is Jesus' whole point here about uh, adultery and divorce and all of this? His, his overarching point is, there is one and only one context in which we can healthily uh, and holily, if that's a word, you know, grace-filledly uh, use our sexuality, and that is in marriage. That is the one and only place. Any other use of our sexuality is a sin. So the devil, of course, he's real sly. He gets you to think unchastely, and then he leads you into uh, unchaste action, but they're private actions, right? We're talking about mainly things like masturbation or pornography here. And, um, and what, uh, you know, we, again, people are like, well, these aren't big deals because nobody knows. I'm not hurting anybody, right? I could give you a lot of statistics about pornography. I'll just content, be content with two here. Uh, maybe I'll put the rest in the bulletin sometime coming up here. But uh, j just consider this. In 1998, there were 14 million pornographic websites on the Internet. In 2018, 20 years later, there were 2.3 billion billion, right? This, so this is a, a huge uh, industry, of course. People make all kinds of money off this, but it's very damaging to our minds and to the minds of our children. Here's the other statistic. Children ages uh, is 8 to 16, the, the percentage of our children ages 8 to 16 who have seen, in one way or another, pornography on the internet, 90%. Most of them while doing homework, right? It's not, it's not like they're necessarily out there looking for it. It, it comes looking for them. And it is just such a, a corruptive uh, thing. So uh, we won't spend a whole lot of time on that. But, you know, uh, there's a real need in our society today to recognize and do something about the evil of pornography. But again, sometimes we're like, well, it's just it's such a private thing. It's not a big deal. Well, the problem is that it doesn't stay simply a private thing. I want to transition into the more kind of public sins against chastity with this quotation. Now, this is from Dr. Marianne Layden, who is the director of the Sexual Trauma and the Psychopathology Program at the Department of Psychiatry in Pennsylvania. But this is what she says. She says, about 10 years ago, it occurred to me that I had not treated one case of sexual violence that didn't involve pornography. Some were rape cases, some incest, some child molestation, some sexual harassment. In all of these different kinds of cases, pornography showed up in every single one, right? Which again, shouldn't surprise us. Once we allow ourselves to start thinking and acting out uh, in these unchaste ways in private, it's going to eventually spill over into more public actions in society. And so it has. So it has. In our society, here are just some simple statistics. Uh, 
course, people get divorced uh, nowadays for all kinds of reasons, but between 20 to 40% of divorces, depending on how you count it, are caused by adultery. 15 to 20% of women here in the United States will experience rape. The U.S. Justice Department has calculated that about 100,000 children here in the United States every year are sold into the commercial sex trade, right? This is a, these are huge, huge problems in our society today. And we're not even, I mean, we could go into a whole thing on how the younger generation doesn't even get married anymore. They just live together, which is, of course, called fornication. Uh, or the, you know, the use of contraception, even among uh, Catholics, in such a, a wide way, uh, the normalization of uh, homosexuality, legalization of same-sex marriage, things like that, right? So, we are crazy if we don't think that a lack of chastity doesn't have a real effect on society. It is a huge problem. How can we protect ourselves and our families from these sins? Or if we uh, have experienced some of them in our own life, how can we be set free from that? It is, of course, by this great virtue, the virtue of chastity. So how can we grow in that? How can we form in ourselves the virtue of chastity? I want to suggest to you five really good ways that all of us can use to grow in chastity. And the first way is prayer. Everybody say prayer. Prayer is always the, the first and the most important thing that we do because it, it is asking God to help us. And God can do anything that he wants, right? We often don't take Jesus seriously enough when he says, ask and you will receive. So we've got to pray. We've got to pray every day. Uh, you know, especially at the beginning of the day, good time when you get up in the morning. If you know that you need chastity, pray for chastity. St. Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, right? Think about the way that you're putting on the armor of God. Maybe your armor of God includes some specialty items like the goggles or the custody of the eyes, right? Or the, uh, you know, the shield of purity or something like that, right? You can make up whatever you want. That's what St. Paul is doing. Um, but, you know, put on your armor every morning before you go to bed at night. Pray that the Lord will keep your dreams, your mind pure. Of course, one of the most important times to pray is right after you've received Holy Communion. And when you're there with Jesus inside of you, in your heart, in your body, uh, right there in the sacrament, that is the most powerful time for us to pray for all the things that we need. So if we need to grow in chastity, that is one of the key times to pray for chastity. There's lots, of course, of uh, formal prayers that are out there that we can use to pray for chastity. One kind of... Uh, time-tested tradition is to pray every day three Hail Marys for chastity, because, of course, the Blessed Mother is the greatest uh, patron and example of chastity. She has the most power, so it's always good to pray to her. Um, another thing that I recommend, because I, in my own personal experience, I've found it very helpful, is to find some real short uh, prayer or Bible verse that you can memorize and whenever you, are, uh, be whenever you begin to experience temptation against chastity, immediately try and turn your mind to that prayer. You know, that gives God the chance to get in there. 
Uh, and especially when you're trying to form this habit, it, it's good to even go ahead and pray if you've already committed the sin. Pray that prayer. You want to surround that, that moment of sin and temptation with prayer, like the way an oyster surrounds that grain of sand you know, to make a pearl. That's what we want to do. So prayer is the first and the most important way. That's number one. Number two is penance. Everybody say penance. Yes. Penance. Now, of course, we first of all mean here the sacrament of penance. Uh, there, if you, uh, every, you know, every sacrament gives us special grace. We call it sacramental grace. Well, what's the sacramental grace of the sacrament of penance? It is whatever you are confessing, God gives you special help with that thing, right? So it, it, that's why you got to come again and again and again. You should never be embarrassed to do that, to confess the sins that you are struggling with. And so if we are struggling with sins against chastity, then there's no greater way to grow in chastity than to come and confess those sins. But of course, uh, the other kinds of penance, that's to say just our own uh, penances that we do ourselves can be helpful too. Especially, you know, the, the desert fathers uh, who often, you know, they live by themselves out in the desert all the time, they often experience attacks on their chastity. They would say this, the way to chastity lies through the stomach, believe it or not, right? What they meant there was, if you can control your appetite for food, then that's teaching you also how to control your other appetites, like your uh, sexual appetite, right? So when we do penance, when we fast and do other kinds of mortification, that too is a way of growing in chastity. So prayer, penance. Third one is healthy relationships. Everybody say healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. This is key because a lot of the times when we uh, fall into sins against chastity is because we're lonely. We don't have uh, good relationships in our lives that keep us out of these sins. So healthy relationships are key. If you're married, of course, the first one ought to be a healthy relationship with your spouse. That shouldn't be any surprise. But, you know, it is, a, it is amazing the number of people who sometimes are uh, embarrassed to have uh, conversations with their spouse about their sexual needs, about their sexual hang-ups, about their sexual sins. I mean, this is the person who has committed their entire life to you, right, and you to them. So if you can't talk to this person about those things, I don't know who you're going to talk to them about. You want to have and you want to work on a healthy relationship with your spouse. But, of course, then you, uh, you need other healthy relationships in your life. You need to have healthy relationships with your friends. Uh, friends are such a great source of support, uh, even just to do other things with, right? To be involved in other activities with. Activities, again, can be a great way of uh, avoiding sexual temptation, even if you're just like out there exercising with somebody or playing sports or working on a hobby, uh, especially when you do that with friends, that really fills that need, allows us to take those sexual energies that uh, are good and natural that we all have and put them to work in some way or another. Now, of course, this comes in real handy too when you're dating. 
uh, when we're dating or engaged or something like that, you know, it can be a real uh, temptation against chastity at times. But if you do things with other people, with your friends, then you're out of a lot of danger, right? Uh, or again, uh, people who struggle with same-sex attraction, how important there it is for them to have good, healthy friendships, people who are going to understand them, understand what they're struggling with, and help them to make a virtuous choice in their life. Maybe they can get involved in Courage or some of these other groups where they can really build friendships. So healthy relationships are really a key. Um, oh, and then, of course, we should say that the last idea here is having a devotion to the saints. Because you know, the saints are real people too. They're not just like illustrations from up there in heaven. They're real people. And you can have a great relationship with them. And so many of the saints are both examples and, you know, they will, they will help us. They will come and, and, and develop in our lives good routines and habits and chastity. St. Agnes uh, or some of the other uh, early virgin martyrs of the church who literally gave their lives so that they could be chased for Jesus Christ. They're a great uh, one to pray to. St. Augustine. Um, St. Augustine, if you've never read St. Augustine's Confessions, that is a book that every Christian should read before they die. You know, just a very formative book uh, for the whole world, really. But St. Augustine struggled a great deal with his chastity. In fact, he had a son out of wedlock. Uh, but he was eventually successful in conquering himself and in becoming chaste. So he can be a great patron saint. St. Thomas Aquinas has an entire uh, confraternity, which is like a spiritual support group built around his life. They call it the confraternity of the angelic warfare because um, his, his father and brothers at one point decided that they would try and uh, destroy his vocation by uh, tempting him against chastity. But, uh, you know, St. Thomas very memorably pulls out of the fireplace in his room this burning log and chases the unfortunate prostitute that they had hired out of his room, slams the door, and then burns the sign of the cross into his door, right? So <laughs> makes it very clear. Uh, so in all these saints, and there's so many more, they can really help us uh, by having a relationship with them. They can help us to grow in chastity. So, that's the, that's the third one. Say, say them with me now. There's one, prayer. Two is penance. Yeah, that's right. I forgot it myself. <laughs> Three is healthy relationships. Four is accountability. Everybody say accountability. accountability. Accountability is big whenever we're struggling with something, not just chastity, but it's important in chastity too. It really helps to know that we are being held accountable to somebody. Now, again, this can be your spouse. Uh, if you are able to share your struggles with your spouse, nobody will probably be able to help you be more accountable than your spouse. But, of course, that's not always the best idea. That can be a very emotionally charged topic sometimes. So you might ask, well, who else in my life, if I'm struggling with some sin against chastity, who can I go to and talk about? You know, do I have a good friend that I can talk about? Certainly, if nothing else, you should try to have a regular confessor uh, or you know, even a spiritual director would be great. Uh, but you know, a lot of times people go around to all kind of different priests to go to confession, which is great you know, if you're just trying to get to confession as much as possible. But 
if you try to go to the same priest a lot of the time, then that priest knows where you've been and where you are, and he can really help you by keeping you accountable. Uh, so that is a very good thing to do, is to have the accountability of a regular confessor. Um, now, of course, if you feel like you're struggling in a deeper way, there's other levels of accountability. You can uh, go to a counselor or a psychiatrist. They can help you. There's even entire 12-step programs, of course, that are specially, specially designed for people who struggle with sexual sin. So all of that is important for accountability. So that's the fourth one. Number five. So say them with me now. One is prayer. Two, penance. Three, healthy relationships. Four, accountability. Number five is technology. Technology is the problem in a lot of ways, but it can also be part of the solution. How do we use our technology, right? We need to, of course, common sense things, have some filtering programs, some blocking software, make sure your safe, your search settings are on safe. But we all know that we can get around those things when we need to or when we want to, right? So you wanted to think about other things with your technology, like is my computer in a public place in the house? It's a good idea to not take your smartphones or other devices into places where they are private, right? Uh, I know a priest who always says, uh, bedroom, basement, bathroom, the three Bs. Never take your smartphone into those places because they're private, right? Because you're alone there. Even when uh, you charge your phone at night, maybe don't plug it in in your bedroom. Just get it out of the way so that you're, you're not tempted when you are alone. Uh, so things like that. Now, of course, there, you can go another level too. You've got things like... Um, going back to accountability, there are programs like uh, and I've, the one that I found really good is Covenant Eyes, where it's, uh, it's not so much a blocking program, but it reports everything that you've looked at to a, a, an accountability partner that you have chosen, right? That way, when you talk to that person, you don't have to worry about, well, well, maybe I should just lie and tell them that everything is fine. They already know, right? Uh, so you can use technology to your benefit in those kinds of ways too. So we can, we can be creative and use technology as a way to help us grow in chastity, not just as a source of, um, of temptation. So those are the five ways that we can use or we can help other people use to grow in chastity. Again, say it with me one more time. Number one, prayer. Number two, penance. Number three, healthy relationships. Number four, accountability. Number five, technology. Uh, and so we want to bring those things into our lives to help us grow in that very blessed virtue of chastity. I want to just take a moment, as I usually do for these homilies, and say any questions about that stuff. Any, anybody have any questions about chastity or sins against chastity that you want to bring up? If you have an impure thought and uh, you start praying and it goes away, is it still a sin? Okay, that's a great question. So if you have an impure thought, you start praying and then it goes away, is it a sin? Well, as always, we can't, uh, so we can't always control the thoughts that come into our head, but of course sometimes we can. So it depends on, you know, did that thought come into my head because I was choosing to look at something or look at someone in a certain way? Uh, then I kind of did that to myself, right? But sometimes those thoughts come in unbidden. 
either way, though, if as soon as we recognize that thought as like a temptation against chastity, if we immediately reject it, which is what we're trying to do when we say a prayer, then it's not uh, certainly not a mortal sin, probably not even a venial sin, again, just depending on how it got there. Uh, but if we like start to, to entertain it, as we say, right, or allow it to entertain us, uh, then it does become lust, and that's the, that's the distinction. So it really depends on our attitude towards that thought once we have it fully formed in our mind. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's basically right. There is always beauty in everything, and we can recognize that, but then as soon as it starts leading us into sexual temptation, we need to just move on and turn our minds away. All right, well, thank you. Again, we hope these catechetical homilies are helpful to you and to your families, and uh, so we want to, of course, grow in chastity so that we can come in purity of body, mind, and soul here to the altar of God to receive Jesus in Holy Communion, who is love himself and who is purity himself. Immaculate Heart of Mary.